You know, the world is full of people who believe in Jesus. But for many of those people, maybe perhaps largely outside of the church, but also inside of the church, Jesus has not revolutionized their lives. Still, many of them, many of us perhaps, live with the same kinds of fears that we had, the same kind of limitations that we had, the same kind of struggles that we had before we became Christians. The only explanation for this is that they have not, we have not, grasped the true meaning of the central promise of Christmas, what I want to talk about in the few minutes that I have, that God is with us. What does it mean? What is the heart of this promise? Those, our kids just read these famous verses from Matthew chapter 1. What does it mean today to you? What does it mean today to me that God is with us? The true miracle of Christmas is that in the person of Jesus, God himself, right? God didn't send somebody like a messenger, an agent, God himself in the person of Jesus entered forever the human story. He came into our reality. He came into our history, human history. He came into our vulnerability. Okay, That's what I want to talk about in the few minutes I have. God with us. God with us. couple things this passage just read for us says about this great central promise of Christmas. Number one, God is with us in our troubles. Okay? And I want you to ask yourself these questions if it's true for you, if it's true for me. God is with us, this passage tells us, in our troubles. That is the troubles that we have in this life. The troubles that you have in this life, that I have in this life. Now this passage... Matthew 1, 18 to 25, is so familiar to many of us, whether you're a churchgoer or not, God is with us, right? The virgin shall conceive, shall, shall bring forth the son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us, right? This is so familiar, we forget how strange it is, how full of trouble it is. Now it's told in very short order. Like a lot of the narratives of the Bible, it's after the fact. They're, trying to, they're just going to give you the details. But it happened, we believe, you're a Bible believer, it happened to real people in real time. Think about Joseph, okay? The, 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 one of the other great common passages of Scripture we talk about at Christmas is the um, Luke passage, the shepherds, and that's all about Mary. In other words, Mary's the, the protagonist. But in this case... Mostly Joseph. Think about Joseph in this story. God is with us in our troubles in this life. This is what we know from this passage. The woman that he loved. Okay? They were engaged before God ever got involved, in a manner of speaking, okay? To the, to the announcement to Mary. He, with the, to the woman, Joseph was in love with this woman. And he finds out that the woman he loved and the woman he was engaged to is pregnant, and he is not the father. Okay? Think about that for a minute. Can you think of, uh, there's not too many, there's some, more 
challenging, difficult, discouraging, a punch in the gut situations. You were in love with somebody. You're engaged to somebody. And then you find out she's pregnant. And you know you are not the father. And in this case, the invitation had been sent out. It's the way it worked in this culture. Everybody was looking forward to the wedding. And then she has a story to tell, of course. You know it was mentioned in this passage. Mary had already gotten a, a, a visit from the angel. And certainly she told Joseph this amazing thing that happened. But based upon his actions, you know, he wanted to quietly divorce her. He was trying to do the best. It tells you that he didn't believe her. Right? I mean, can you blame him? Your spouse may have told you some crazy things in your life, okay? I doubt your spouse has ever told you something as outrageous as this. I'm pregnant, not by you, not by another man, but by the Holy Spirit of God. It never happened, ever. I don't think you would have believed it. I wouldn't have believed it. Now, it says then in the passage, after this, he considered what he had heard. He took some time. We don't know if it was a day, a month, but he took some time to consider this wild story, this very gut-wrenching situation. As he took some time to consider it, guess what happened? Joseph got his own vision of an angel. And this angel says to Joseph, listen, what Mary said to you is true. You imagine And the child in her womb is the Savior of the world. You shall give him the name Jesus, which means God saves. Okay? Can you imagine that? That's what happened in this story. And Joseph's decision to follow these words from God, the angel of the Lord, ultimately resulted in a life of deep, purpose. It's the only reason we're talking about this guy 2,000 years later. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up from his dream, he made a decision. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do, and he took Mary, the pregnant Mary, home as his wife. Everything in this story Reminds us that God's ways are not our ways. And if you choose to follow him, it's not always a common path. And it oftentimes, it is a difficult one. It's not an easy one. But he promises, that's what this passage is, the heart of this message. He promises to be with us in our troubles. And he's willing to carefully work out his greater Purposes for your lives if you do trust him in your troubles. Whatever they might be today. 20 years ago, uh, 20-ish years ago, I was a short-term missionary in the small little country of Kosovo, South Central Europe. I was there after a war, conflict, very, very similar than what you're seeing play out on the news today in the country of Ukraine. Very, very similar in many ways. I went there after the war as a Christian missionary. 
The last weekend I was there, got a knock at my door, two guys, ski masks on, pushed in the door, put me down on the floor in the bathroom, tied my hands behind my back, put a gun to my head. For 15 minutes, one did while the other one robbed my apartment. In those 15 minutes, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I prayed a simple prayer. God, be with me now. Be with me now. Be with me now. Now. I never saw that trouble coming. I was a missionary. I wasn't involved in this conflict. I never would have dreamed it was coming Certainly never wanted it to come. But I've come back to those 15 minutes many, many times in the last 20 plus years because I said to myself, if he can be with me then and through that kind of trouble, he can be with me through any kind of trouble I might face. Isaiah chapter 43. Promise. To you, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, the Lord. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Some people think that because the trouble is in their life, something's wrong with them. God must be against me. That's not what the Bible says. Life is full of trouble. I think the book of Job says, man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. The question isn't whether or not you have trouble. If you're alive, you have trouble. The question is, as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, do you know that God is with you in your troubles? He doesn't say, I'll keep you from the flames. I'll keep you from the raising water. He says, I will be with you. For I am the Lord your God, your Savior. What's true of Joseph in this passage should be true, is true of every Christian. Christmas is not only about the historical birth of Jesus, but about the birth of the life of Jesus in you and this withness okay God is with us I would suggest to you is most acutely felt in the troubles in your life are you looking for it there right God is with us in our troubles God is with you in your troubles today Second thing this passage tells us, God is with us in our brokenness, okay? God is with us in our brokenness. Matthew, unlike Luke, he tells us about the birth of Jesus very quickly. I didn't even read it. I started in verse 18, or the, or the, the kids did. But he gets right to it. It's very simple. You know, they, they have to go, there's a census, they go into Bethlehem, and uh, it's time to give birth to this baby, and they go into this uh, modest place behind somebody's house, they give birth to the baby. Very quickly, Matthew tells you the same thing that Luke does, but what Matthew does is he fast-forwards 
to the end, to the purpose of this birth. It's kind of unusual. Verse 21. She will give birth to a son. So far, so good. You are to give him the name Jesus. That's a little unusual. Usually the father names the child. In this case, he's given the name for the reasons that we know. He's the son of God. Because, now this is the right turn. He will save his people from their sins. Okay? He didn't save his people from their sins as a baby in a manger. Okay, this is written after the fact. Matthew's going to take you from the manger in Bethlehem all the way to a cross outside of Jerusalem. See, I want to to be really clear to you, uh, whoever's listening to this message, the the, the people who receive the gospel of Matthew. Yes, it's a beautiful story. Yes, there's the Magi. Yes, there's there's, there's barn animals. Yes, there's this this beauty and this humility and and, and the angels in the sky. But let me tell you what this is all about. He came into this world, came into the human story, into human history, into human reality, into human vulnerability. Perhaps that's the point of the baby. For a purpose, so he could grow up and become a man and keep his mouth shut. The insults that have fallen on you have fallen on me. He said he kept his mouth shut and he stretched out his arms, an innocent man, and took those nails for you and for me, came to save his people from their sins. It's so familiar to us, those terms, right? When I say to you, even if you're not a church-going person, you go, why did, uh, what's the point of the, why did God come into the world in the Christian gospel? You'd say, well, he, he, he died for our sins. It's so familiar to us, this idea, that we miss how wildly contrary it would have been, this first message he came to save his people from their sins from the expectations that the people of God around him had in his day the people of God were Jesus is the, is the Jewish Messiah the people of God were in bondage for a long time 400 years in Egypt then they were in bondage if you know the story to the Assyrians then they were in bondage to the Babylonians and by the time the Savior is born they're in occupied territory of the Romans. And finally the Messiah comes. Let me tell you what they, they were looking for. He shall save his people from their enemies. That's what they were looking for. Alright? Not from their sins. John chapter 1 in his version of the narrative. You know, it's an interesting account. It talks about in the beginning was the word. And then he says this about Jesus. It's his, it's, his, it's his Christmas story in a manner of speaking. He says, he came unto his own, that is, Jesus came to the Jewish people. He came unto his own, and his own people did not receive him. They said, no, thank you. Now, why would they say, no, thank you? When a guy comes in who speaks the beautiful words that Jesus speaks, no one ever spoke like this man. Even the Roman soldier said that. His words were beautiful. They touched people's hearts. He was healing people of all kinds of diseases. Why would you not want that? Well, because that was good and well as far as it went. But what they were looking for was not deliverance from their sin. What they were looking for was to get the Romans off their back. What they were looking for was a reversal of taxation. What they were looking for was to return to a place of autonomy and political freedom. That's what they were looking for. 
He came unto his own and his own received him. I would suggest to you, I don't know uh, where you sit today, many people today reject the offer of the gospel for the very same reason. We want God to solve our problems. We all got troubles. We want God maybe to, to strike our enemies if you have them, but the forgiveness of sin, not so interested in that. Yet it is in our sins, the heart of my message right here, guys. It is in our sins, in our brokenness. My biggest problems aren't out there. My biggest problems aren't you, not the government. It's not political party A. It's not my, the, my family of origin. My biggest problems are right here. He came to save us from our brokenness. It's in our sins, in our brokenness, that we most need God to be with us. Now, how does he do that? How is Jesus with me in my brokenness? Two ways, very quickly. Number one, he is with you in your brokenness in his life. See, some people say Jesus died for us. He did, but he also lived for you. It's a very important part of the gospel, Roman, or Hebrews 4.15. Listen carefully. For we do not have a high priest. This is after the fact. Jesus rose from the dead. Letter in the New Testament. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. And Jesus now, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead... The whole Jewish system has been satisfied. There's no more priesthood. There's no more temple. There's no more synagogue, right? It's the birth of the church. And Jesus now adopts this name, or at least the writer says, there's only one high priest that is mediator. It's Jesus, okay? We do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He's not this off in heaven somewhere or off in an otherness, but we have one who's been tempted, listen very carefully, in every way, just as we are. That's why he became a baby. That's why he entered humanity. That's why he had to become vulnerable. He was, he was tempted in every way, just as we are. Now watch this. Yet, yet he did not sin. For 33 years, Jesus said no. Everywhere where he needed to say no, he said yes everywhere he needed to say yes, and he did that for you. He lived the life that you couldn't live. The New Testament calls him the second Adam because the first one failed. But Jesus said yes everywhere he needed to say yes. He said no everywhere he needed to say no. He lived a perfect life for you. And then number two, then after living a perfect life for you, then he died as the ultimate sacrifice in line with the Old Testament sacrificial system, right? Lambs. What do they call Jesus? The Lamb of God. It's a metaphor. He's the ultimate sacrifice who then, as a... Remember the lamb they would have to bring if you know the Old Testament story? The only lamb that could be brought to the temple was one with, without blemish, without anything wrong with it. If it had a bad knee... If it had, you know, something wrong with its, with, with its skin, if it had a bad eye, can't use it. I want a lamb that's perfect, young, no blemish. That's the sacrifice. Jesus Christ was the perfect lamb. In his case, the blemish means 
He lived a perfect life and said no everywhere he needed to say no. He said yes everywhere he needed to say yes. And then he went to the cross and died for you. Second Corinthians, listen to these words. God made him, the father, the son, who had no sin. See? That's why he had to be born as a virgin. And Adam all die. Romans 5.12. In other words, we all inherit a sinful nature. A little kid doesn't cran on the wall or lie to his mom and then become a sinner. A little kid, you and me included, crans on the wall and lies to his mom because they're a sinner. That's a biblical worldview. We inherit a sinful nature. Some are better than others. Some are worse than others. But we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So he broke, you might say, the sin chain and did not have inherited sin. And then he went to the cross. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. What does that mean? To be judged for us. So that we might, it's not a guarantee, you've got to believe, become the righteousness of God. He bears your sin and in exchange gives you his righteousness. That's the way more than any other that God is with us. Only a human being on a cross could atone for human sin. But listen carefully. It's one whose humanity was joined with a divinity that could sustain that purpose. If Jesus was 99% sinful, he wouldn't be able to sustain the purpose of the salvation of humanity. That's why he was born as a virgin, from a, of a virgin. That's why he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And then, by depending on God for all those years, he said no where he needed to say no. He said yes where he needed to say yes. He was the blemish, sin-free, sacrificial lamb who then died on a cross for you. God doesn't want you to get your act together. Are you kidding? It's impossible. He wants you to humbly, simply acknowledge what he has done for you. Only here, talking about the cross, could a great love that God has for people, that's what the Bible says, people say, well, doesn't God love everybody? Yes, for God so loved the world. But only in the cross could God's great love for people and his holy opposition to sin, this, this is the tension we have, some people say, well, you know, God loves everybody, get over it, because the Bible says he loves everybody, which he does. But then there's other places, God is very serious about sin, right down to the smallest kind. How do you reconcile those two things? There's only one way. Only here on the cross could a great loving God who loves people and who has a deep opposition to sin, could those things meet? Listen carefully. Tim Keller. If you only see a loving God who never says no, some people have that. Oh, it doesn't matter what you do with your life. God loves everyone. If you only see a loving God who never says no, or you only see an angry God who never says yes, it will distort your life. It will shape how you make decisions, how you regard other people, how you think about yourself, 
how you relate to the world around you. God's love and his fury are nowhere seen together as they are on the cross, where they both are satisfied and meet and coincide. As one writer said, you can get away with your sins, but you can't get away from your sins, except in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You shall give him the name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. The only place that can happen is on the cross of Jesus Christ. God is with us in our troubles. God is with us in our brokenness. Finally, God is with us through the Holy Spirit. The narrative of the virgin birth is also, it's not just a great story that warms our hearts, it is also a model for how Jesus' transforming life is reproduced in all people who believe. The Spirit's main work is making Jesus a living person in you. And in this sense, every Christian experiences a kind of virgin birth. You've heard this before. John said, or Jesus said to, to, to the great Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Listen, that's not a political party, okay? It's simply an explanation of what it means to become a Christian. The Holy Spirit needs to be conceived in you, right? That's how you become a Christian. There's a guy here in our church who I originally met through Celebrate Recovery four plus years ago. God had done an amazing work in his life when he came here. He had, uh, at the time, a drug addiction of a kind, but he'd been, he has been clean and sober, this man, share this with his permission, since May of 2020. Now, when he first came here, when I first met him at this time, about four years ago, his struggle was alcohol, ongoing struggle with alcohol. But it began, his addiction problem, many years before that, okay? Maybe as many as 15 or 20 years. He was a college student, soccer player, on the soccer field. Got kicked in the mouth, lost four of his teeth, and because of that, resulted in an addiction to prescription drugs, which went on for many, many years. One thing led to another, also alcohol. I recently ran into him a couple weeks ago after a service right here, a month ago. And in that conversation, he told me a recent story of how God had, had continued to transform his life I asked him to write it down for sake of time, okay? Lots I'm not telling you. Both of my parents went into home hospice care in the summer of 2021. I'd become their sole living caregiver. They were both bedridden and prescribed liquid morphine that fell to me to administer. One evening, I was in the kitchen preparing their medication. We'd just gotten a delivery of several vials. As I held the medication in my hand, I realized how far God had brought me. There was a time in my life where that would have been my dream. It was liquid morphine. No pills to count. Nobody measuring the amounts. I could have helped myself to as much as I wanted. But I had absolutely no desire to partake. 
God did that for me. He restored every blessing that I took for granted, including my work situation as an attorney that he'd lost his job when I first met him, my living situation, and my relationship with my children. Not only has he restored those things, but he has increased them tenfold at least. I have no doubt he will do it in other troubled areas in my life. He still has trouble in his life, just like you do, just like I do. The signs are already there. I just have to move when he says move and be still when he says be still. I have turned every aspect of my life over to God and he has worked wonders. Okay? Worked wonders. This is for Christians too. God is with you in your troubles. God is with you in your brokenness. God is with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4.19 Paul, writing to a group of Christians in Galatia, says these words. My dear children, okay, the Apostle Paul, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, sort of a metaphor, he's their spiritual parent, until Christ is formed in you. Okay? The the birth narrative of Jesus is a model for what it means to be a Christian. Because what it means to be a Christian is the life of Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit is reproduced in you if you're open to it. And it has to be formed in you over the course of your life. Where did I start this sermon? There's a lot of people who believe in Jesus, maybe even a lot of people who are genuine Christians, you and me. But if you're honest with yourself in a moment of clarity, you'd say, I have some of the same struggles, the same limitations, the same bitterness, the same anger, the same weaknesses, the same struggles and failures I had before I became a Christian. What's the problem? God loves you. He's with you in your brokenness. He died for your sin. But he's also with you, should be, in the person of the Holy Spirit. Right? Every day, you and I have the opportunity to say, be with me now in this thing in my life, right? Be with me now. The great promise of Christmas is that God is with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. This is the great gift and the very hope of Christmas. Amen? All right, I want us all to pray. We're going to sing a song, close our Christmas service, but every head is bowed, every eye is closed, and I have a prayer that I hope will apply to every person in this room, okay? Let me start with the many in this room who are Christians, okay? There are many people in this room like me who are Christians, but let me ask you this. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you would say, Rob, I'm a Christian, been one for five years, for 40 years, but I'm, I'm not sure that Jesus Christ has revolutionized my life. There are still many fears that I have, limitations that I have, struggles that I have, that I've had since before I was a Christian. And I'd like to experience more of the transformed life of Jesus in my life today. If that's your story, I'd ask you just to put your hand up. No one's looking around but me. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Just put your hand up, up and down. Thank you. 
And let me just say a, a challenge to those who may not be Christians in this room or listening to me today. If you have heard the story of the narrative of Jesus, maybe one or 21 or a hundred times in your life, you know that God sent Jesus into the world. You know that he eventually died on a cross. But you have never yourself experienced the forgiveness of sins. You've never realized, you know, God has, gone, is, has been this general concept of who God is and who Jesus is. But you've never truly experienced him as your savior. Where he could come and be for you what you could never do yourself. Where you could embrace the reality that he said yes everywhere where you couldn't say yes he said no everywhere where you didn't say no he lived the life that you could not live and then he died on a cross and paid the penalty not just for the sin of the world but for your sin the great augustine said this the great church father said god loves each of us as if there was only one of us Right? If you were the only person, Augustine's saying, that ever lived, it's as if he died for you. If you've never truly trusted, right, with all of your heart in the finished work of Jesus, it's not about you, it's not about earning God's favor, it's not about being a little better than you were yesterday, it's not about the Ten Commandments, it's about realizing that in Jesus Christ, God has sent his son on a rescue mission to live the life you couldn't live and to die in your place so that you might know the forgiveness of sins. If you'd like to receive that, right? It's not, it's not the, it's not the um, special privilege of this church or any church. It's for all who are open to it. It's a promise in the word of God, Romans 10, 9. If, you, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, it's the Bible's way of saying asking. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts, that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. All you need to do is ask for it. Say this prayer or one like it silently in your seat or at home. God, thank you for sending Jesus, first in a manger, then to a cross, to die for my sins. Thank you for this amazing love. And I ask you right now, uh, God in heaven, God and Father, that you would grant me the forgiveness of sins that I might know today, right here in my seat, right here in my home, I might know the gift of God, the ultimate witness that is the forgiveness of Jesus. That might be mine through the, through the, through the very person of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. Come into my life. Be my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'd just like to pray for you. Just slip your hand up in this auditorium right now. Thank you. Thank you. Slip your hand up. No one's looking but me. Let us pray, then we'll sing. God and Father, I thank you for every person in this room and listening to me today. For those of us who are Christians, who are looking for a greater experience of the love and power of God, are looking for greater liberation from our fears, our struggles. And for those of us, maybe for the first time, 
who have opened our minds, our hearts, our lives to the true gift of Christmas. That God is with us in the person of Jesus. I pray for every one of us here that you might, Lord, we might not leave this room not being impressed by your response to our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.